fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Holy cow, what a day it's been already, and what a weekend. Hey, everybody, the government's still open. We're not all dying in the streets. Obviously, your car started today, your water turned on, your electricity was working. Everything was fine. Why? Because the government didn't shut down over the weekend. Within hours, my friends, they ended up passing their continuing resolution. That package of government spending that was just miraculous and saved the day. Therefore, my friends, you can enjoy another day of freedom and glory with the government hovering over you on a daily basis. Welcome into it. Man, uh, I feel so much better. So much safe inside. So much more secure inside. I feel better knowing that the government's there for me without having any type of faltering. They were closed on the weekend, but I still feel safe now on a Monday. Welcome into it. We have a lot to talk about. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of the hour, we have Matthew Wise. I better be careful with my terminology there because I'm not really a general. Yeah, just throwing that out there. But Matthew Wise is a uh, second lieutenant with the U.S. Marine Corps, and he also has his new book out, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z, why we're seeing some of the lowest recruitment numbers of people signing up for the military in really record low numbers in the history of the United States, and why that's happening, what we can do to fix some of that. We'll have that fun chat with Matthew coming up at the bottom of this hour. First and foremost, I have to say that I am absolutely happy and honored to be able to do a syndicated program on the weekend because when we were doing our show, not to brag or anything, but we literally were the only radio show in the entire nation that was live at that time doing conservative political talk that was covering the live Senate votes at that time. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, so for radio affiliates that may be listening, hint, hint, wink, wink, there's opportunities for you there. But Uh, It was really cool to be able to cover that live on the weekend when nobody else was having the chance to do so as, uh, well, I'll take that back. We started uh, broadcasting as they were doing the roll calls, so they were getting ready to do the big vote, which ended up happening 88 to 9 in the Senate, passing their continuing resolution, their stopgap funding bill. That was the same spending levels of 2023, but without the Ukrainian package in there but did include near $6 billion for emergency relief funding that was requested from the Biden administration. So I ask you, Republicans, conservatives out there that are terribly worried about the government shutting down because you know that we could all die in the streets if it doesn't. We're all going to die because of you! I ask you that uh, what did we get out of this bill? What did we do? I mean, we're trying to move the direction in a better position. We're trying to get the country back on track financially. We're trying to actually do something productive financially with the appropriations process, actually having an appropriations process. But Kevin McCarthy over the weekend, after the vote on Saturday in the House, said that they did it in a conservative manner. He was the do something, we accomplish something, Mr. Conservative, and the radical hardliner conservatives, I say that in air quotes for our radio listeners, are hardliner Republicans. They were the do-nothing conservatives that just voted against this bill. Is the House ended up passing it overwhelmingly, 335 to 91, 
Out of the 91 that didn't vote for the bill, it was one Democrat and 90 Republicans, which is like half of the Republican caucus. Just throwing that out there for those that may be a little slow on the draw here. So Kevin McCarthy, Mr. We're going to change things. We're going to start cutting out wasteful spending. We're going to get rid of the wokeness. Passed a bill that was exactly at 2023 current levels, which Republicans, including McCarthy, said that they would not support in a continuing resolution as they wanted to go back to like 2019 levels of spending prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And he did it with Democrat support, all but one, without conservative hardliners, quote unquote, with the 90 that voted against it. Where did we cut spending? Where did we cut out that wasteful spending? I'm not quite sure if it's at the same levels of what we've had, along with on top of that some federal relief uh, for natural disasters. I get that. Okay, fine. That's a point of conversation. Uh, at the same time, it did not have Ukrainian funding, which was the big hype point for Republicans. Okay, we, we got our agenda. <laughs> now, there is a separate bill that's coming up soon that McCarthy said would be specifically for Ukrainian funding. And we have some more on that in a minute uh, with the ongoing battle between Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. But then it gets sent over to the Senate and nine Republicans, not Democrats, nine Republicans ended up voting against this bill with the rest of the Senate, 88 of them, voting in favor of it. Those, by the way, that voted against this bill was Marsha Blackburn, Mike Braun, Ted Cruz, Bill Haggerty, Mike Lee, Roger Marshall from the state of Kansas, where I'm at here, Rand Paul, Eric Schmidt, and J.D. Vance from the state of Ohio. Those were the nine that did not vote for this disastrous monstrosity of doing the exact same thing while saying that we're cleaning up wasteful spending somehow in some way, shape, or form. So... All the other Republicans, absolute shame on you for saying that we're going to clean up wasteful spending and then voting to continue that wasteful spending at the exact same levels for 2023 up until November. I have very little faith that come the middle of November after our 45-day extension here that our final federal budget will look anything different than massive increases in spending while the conservatives, again using air quotes here, Mr. Conservative Kevin McCarthy and those other ones say, oh, well, we totally cleaned up wasteful spending because we um, spent the exact same amount of money than what we did in the past. So I was honored to be able to cover that live on over the weekend with our syndicated program. I am absolutely devastated, though, and I don't know why, because we should have expected it, but I was pretty devastated that that's what we did. Now, that being said, let's get to today. Since we've done our recap, let's get to what's going on today, shall we? What's trending today? Which has led to the ongoing battle between Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. As Matt Gates over the weekend was on CNN, why he went on CNN, I don't know, but relatively hilarious platform to go and make his announcement that at some point this week he will be uh, filing the article or the bill on the House floor to remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Speaker McCarthy made an agreement with House conservatives in January, and since then he has been in brazen, repeated material breach of that agreement. Uh, this agreement that he made with Democrats uh, to really blow past a lot of the spending guardrails we'd set up is a last straw. And then overnight I learned that Kevin McCarthy had a secret deal with Democrats on Ukraine. So as he was baiting Republicans to vote for a continuing resolution without Ukraine money, saying that we were going to jam the Senate on Ukraine, he then turns around and makes a secret deal. Now, I know you and I probably have different views on U.S. involvement in Ukraine, but however you think about that question, it should be subject to open review analysis and not some backroom deal. So, so I motion do to vacate tomorrow? 
I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. I think we need to this rip week. off the Band-Aid. I think we need to move on with new leadership. All right, so that was Matt Gates on CNN on Sunday. The question is, if he does do that removal, then what's the process look like? Who do we have to replace? Who is going to be? Because if we look at these numbers that passed, let's say, the continuing resolution, we have the quote-unquote hardliners, using that open-ended for the radio program, the 90 Republicans and one Democrat that voted against a continuing resolution after the vast majority of the Republican caucus said they would not support a continuing resolution that had current spending levels of 2023. Then many of them caved. They're scared and terrified of a government shutdown, how it could just kill everybody because apparently the government's not there to protect us. Oh, it's going to cost us so much more money in the long run. Yeah, but isn't it worth it to stand on a principle and actually make a drastic change to where that money that's going to be spent in the long run isn't going to matter because we're actually saving money and cutting budgets elsewhere? What a concept! But apparently not. So, Matt Gates, I ask you, while I understand the frustration having a speaker that is such a rhino non-Republican as Kevin McCarthy, how exactly are you going to get a more conservative Speaker of the House to do your bidding and actually get things done properly? Because by the numbers I have here, the conservatives, the Truth Caucus within the Republican Party is nowhere near enough of the majority in order to pass and vote on a more conservative Speaker of the House. So if you remove Kevin McCarthy, let's just say theoretically this goes through, that all the Republicans come in unison and actually vote them out, along with some Democrats, which Adam Schiff, by the way, has come out and said, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. We need a more progressive one out there. Let's go ahead and get out Kevin McCarthy. If you get him out, and here's the pondering moment of the day, will we see a more conservative Speaker of the House, or will we see a more progressive, moderate, liberal Speaker of the House? Because the moderates, obviously, like to go and partner up with the Democrats. The Democrats... uh, Uh, obviously recognize the fact that there are moderate Republicans willing to work with them on issues and not the quote-unquote hardline Republicans, the do-nothing conservatives that Kevin McCarthy has accused them of being. So if we work with the Democrats to remove Kevin McCarthy, who would be the actual replacement? You would kind of have to work with Democrats to get a majority to do so, which, by the way, Matt Gates even admitted during that interview on CNN on Sunday. Republicans, do you think, will be with you in your motion to vacate? Because obviously, for people at home who don't know, you need 218 votes to get him out of the speakership. You don't have 218 Republican votes. You're going to need Democrats. Let's start with the Republicans. How many Republicans do you have? Well, enough so that when you host this show next week, if Kevin McCarthy is still the Speaker of the House, he will be serving at the pleasure of the Democrats. He will be working for the Democrats. The only way Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House at the end of this coming week is if Democrats bail him out. Now, they probably will. I actually think that when you believe in nothing, as Kevin McCarthy does, everything's negotiable. Okay, but let's and I think be, he'll cut be, a deal with, be, with the Democrats. Let's be honest here, though, because if you succeed in, in vacating him, you also will have to make a deal with the Democrats. You also will have to get Democratic votes to kick him out. Uh, absolutely, I will make no deal with Democrats and concede no terms to them. I actually think Democrats should vote against Speaker McCarthy for free. I don't think I should have to deal with oh, so anything. so you're not going to cut any deals with him? Absolutely not. And I don't think that uh, any Republicans uh, that ha- share my view on Speaker McCarthy would cut deals with Democrats. 
All right. I'm starting to recognize and come to the conclusion that Matt Gates, while he's just angry at Kevin McCarthy, maybe for a personal vendetta, maybe because he's not conservative enough, I'm realizing that he does not have a long-term plan. Because while I would love to see Kevin McCarthy be booted out as Speaker of the House, exactly who is going to replace? And even when asked on the spot, do you have the Republican votes? Well, we have enough Republican votes to say that if Kevin, Kevin McCarthy is still Speaker of the House, it's because he's now a Democrat. Which, okay... He already kind of is a progressive Democrat with an R in front of his name. He is a rhino Republican. We all can come to that unison agreement here. But does it do any good to continue to upset the guy who's a rhino moderate Republican to go further to the Democrats than trying to work with him the little bit that we possibly can to maybe schmooze up on him a little bit to actually get him to not attack conservatives but work a little bit more with them? Because, again... I don't know that you have the votes to get a more conservative Speaker of the House. So what you're essentially saying is that we're still going to have a Kevin McCarthy Speaker, but we're going to have a Democrat Kevin McCarthy Speaker when we already have a Democrat moderately Republican Kevin McCarthy Speaker. But now you want a full-fledged Kevin McCarthy Democrat Speaker with Democrats that are in the minority in the House of Representatives because you just don't want to work with them. My brain hurts thinking about that one, but that's the situation that we're in. Do we need a new Speaker? I think we do. Has he lied to conservatives? Absolutely, he has lied to conservatives. Is he calling himself a conservative? He does in the false name of conservatism, which is not conservatism. But I don't know how going about calling him out that way, trying to remove him and getting Democrats to support him, which is probably why he did his backdoor deal for the Ukrainian spending with Democrats, is because he's starting to work more with them because the hardliners, open-ended air quotes here for the conservatives, the hardliners, are giving him so much flack, he'd rather get a majority and override them, not helping our cause here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, man, I got to say, it angers me and breaks my heart of the fact that we have such a damaging Republican Party right now. It hurts. It hurts just a little bit because I hate exposing kind of our internal issues. It's good and bad. I mean, we get to expose it because we don't hold any secrets. We're very transparent as a Republican Party, but it makes us look very weak as well. We can't even unite as a Republican Party to choose our leadership. We can't unite to actually say we're going to stand on principle and do something the right way. And we have literal Republicans, and I use that, I guess, in air quotes, like Kevin McCarthy, who are just rhinos, that are saying that they're Mr. Conservative, doing conservative things by getting things done, by just doing the same thing as what we've been doing. That doesn't make any sense to me. Conservatism and actually changing things, if we say we're going to cut the budget, cut the damn budget. And I could be wrong, but that means that the number needs to be lower than what it was before. Low, l- lower, smaller. The number needs to be down further. I may not have a college degree. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But if you say you're going to cut spending, that means the spending number needs to go down. <laughs> That's a very challenging thing. By the way, we wrote more about that with our blog on our newsletter this week. If you missed our newsletter this month, the hell's wrong with you, man? Go to whosyourreason.com. We do have it up on our website. You can read the blog. We can also sign up to become the latest Hoosier holic and sign up for our newsletter that comes out at the beginning of each and every month. In other news, 
What's trending today? Which we'll continue to follow that, by the way, as it moves on. But uh, Matt Gates has not yet officially filed the article to remove him from Speaker of the House. Now I think it's just trying to play the game behind the scenes on how to make this happen. I'm not quite sure how you get a more conservative one when Republicans refuse to actually stand as conservatives in the House. But we'll see where this one ventures out. Uh, other parties that are just trying to lay out the political spectrum for presidencies or for election season of 2024, we have the wonderful, glorious governor of the state of California, California, Mr. Gavin Newsom, who has now officially nominated someone to be in place temporarily in Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat after passing away at 90 at the end of last week, where they recognize that maybe after the major continuing resolution vote that happened over the weekend, we probably need to fill that seat as quickly as possible. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised at the nomination that he made because just like he vetoed the child bill uh, a week or so ago, He's wanting to play Mr. Moderate. Now, he's not a moderate. He's a radical left-wing progressive. He's an absolute nutcase. But he's trying to play Mr. Moderate, so that way he'll fare well more with the Democrat caucus going into the presidential race. But he nominated, now officially, LaFonza Butler to fill Dianne Feinstein's seat, who is a radical left-wing progressive, but did it because, man, we get to check the identity boxes. She's black. She's a woman. And she's a lesbian. So therefore, she's part of the LGBTQ. Man, the very first ever black lesbian woman to fill a seat in the U.S. Senate, not based on her merits or qualifications or or record or whatever she did, but just because she fits those boxes, she has filled that seat. Barbara Lee, the congresswoman out there, must be very happy and proud of the fact that Alfonza... Oh, I'm sorry. LaFonza. That, that was the nice gaffe that the media did with the morning news show on NBC News today. Gavin Newsom has appointed a new senator to fill the seat of the late Dianne Feinstein. Alfonza Butler. She's the head of the group <laughs> Emily's List. Which Alfonza Butler. There you are. Uh, well, I mean, the media has standards, right? LaFonza Butler. Thank you very much. NBC News has been officially nominated for that because she is a woman. She is of color. And she is part of that LGBTQ community. Again, Barbara Lee, who is the black congresswoman wanting that seat, not a little upset, just a little bit upset because of the fact that, well, Gavin Newsom probably needed to select someone based on their qualifications, not based on just trying to be hyping up those check boxes. because how dare that a Democrat would actually choose someone based on their identity politics in some way, shape or form, which is what Democrats always do. But how dare they not do that and not choose me? to do something like that. But I have to admit, little surprised, little shocked on the choice that Gavin Newsom made when trying to play Mr. Middle-of-the-road moderate going into a presidential race, instead choosing a massive radical socialist who was all about Dianne Feinstein, who was Kamala Harris's best buddy and is part of the socialist movement. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, and a labor union worker, this too. Is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. Moving through a Monday. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. It's what we're all about. Even though the Republican Party may be in shambles, we're trying to rebuild ourselves going into a major election season. <laughs> you know, uh, I've always been taught that you, when you're having more things to do than what you need to, you just bite it off and chew it. 
If you bite off more than you can chew, then you just chew it until it's done. That's just what you do, and that's what the Republican Party seems to want to do. We want to bicker amongst ourselves at the same time we're trying to rebuild ourselves for an election because that makes all the sense in the world. Welcome back into the program. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time and younger, by the way. Even though we may be millennials here, uh, we cover all demographics on this program and even getting to the younger generation, which is where I want to start off in our latest in what's trending. What's trending today? As you know, and we've talked about it quite a bit on the program, is that there is a major decline in enrollment for the military. Kind of sca- kind of sad, kind of scary. What do we do about it? But the younger generations overall just not wanting to join the military. And we've seen the military try to respond by like lowering standards to get qualified for it, which I don't think is the best thing that we should probably do. So where are we at with these numbers? And what about the the next generation, Generation Z, for example, that could be joining the military when we're seeing record low numbers of that generation going into as well. Happy to have on the program as he is part of that Generation Z right now. He's also a second lieutenant in the U.S. Marine Corps, which means he's a badass and He's author of the book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z. Happy to have on the program, Matthew Wise. Matt, how are, my, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Coming to you live 10,000 miles away, and I uh, look forward to chatting today. Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, there's so many directions I want to go with this conversation, but to start off, I mean, being part of the Generation Z and not seeing many young kids or at least your generation going into the military why do you think that is yeah we're, we're facing a trust a knowledge and an identity gap so knowledge we're no longer a world war ii where 10 million people were in the military veterans make up one percent or less of the population frankly gen z is just not exposed to the military like it was it doesn't know what military jobs are like what service is like Identity, where this Instagram and Facebook influencer generation, do Gen Zers really see themselves putting on a uniform, going through tough boot camp? There's an identity gap there. And then, frankly, there's a trust gap. Uh, recent polling has Gen Z looked, looking about 50% favorable towards the military, whereas it used to be around 80%. We don't trust our institutions in the same way. We still trust the military more than our other institutions, like Congress, yeah. but we struggle with trust. And we need and demand more transparency as a generation as a whole because we have so much access to information. So those are three buckets of why we're sort of struggling with this military recruitment problem. Yeah, let's talk about that third one for a second with the lack of trust in it. Why do you think that is going a bit deeper? Is it because of our public institutions, our public school system teaching us how our government's bad, it's run by a bunch of rich white guys, we have a bunch of slave owners that started the nation, it's really not a country that we need to stand for, we don't support nationalism or or patriotism in in any way uh has that do you think contributed to the mindset of just kids growing up under the idea that why would i want to fight for and defend a nation that's really not the best nation anyways so it's a good point so when i talk about the solutions and this book has 21 chapters with 21 problems and 21 solutions the solutions i sort of bucket into two categories one are the requirements and how we shouldn't ever lower the requirements we can get into those but we should reanalyze certain ones specifically and reanalyze processes, and the other is perception. And the question you talk about directs, relate, uh, relate, directly relates to perception. Perception is crucial. What is the perception of the military? What are we actually, quote-unquote, selling to our young people and trying to encourage them to join? And what we've seen, unfortunately, in the past couple of years is the politicization 
of the perception of the military. We've seen both political parties, both sides, attacking Congress, sitting generals and admirals, and try to sort of score points for their view or their perception. The military has been and must always remain this apolitical workplace that exists for one purpose and one purpose, to defend the United States and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that perception can't be tinted or tainted and can't be owned by one political party. So some of the things you talk about when you sort of taint the perception of the military really brings down the view of this institution in the eyes of Gen Z, right? You want to be joining an organization that the country rallies behind. You'll get, quote-unquote, social uh, positives from, right? Wow, you joined the military. That's a great thing. Not, oh, you joined the military. They're a bunch of blank, 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 right? So that's an issue there that we really need to get back to. And we need the perception, sterling reputation that has been, because frankly, the most powerful force the world has ever seen has kept this country safe for a very long time. Yeah, amen to that. I absolutely agree. The The military does not need to be a social experiment, and it does not need to be a talking point for politicians, like you said, on either side of the aisle, trying to score those points by trashing the military. And is it there? Uh, I mean, obviously, you're on the inside of it, and you, and you see how the military operates. Is it still the apolitical side? Because what we hear on the outside is all the way back to the Clinton era with the don't ask, don't tell issues, to the Bush administration, which did see a bump, obviously, after 9-11. But again, the younger generation doesn't really remember that or wasn't necessarily emotionally a part of that. And that was the really last big attack that we've seen in the nation. And then we had the Barack Obama era. We've had the Trump era and now the Biden era where we talk about, I mean, the only conversation we ever hear about in the military now is drag queen hours on military bases. And whether it's happening or not, I mean, that's like you said, kind of the persona that we see right now based on the military. Absolutely. So at the, and I'll speak, directly from my anecdotal observation and the thousands of conversations that I have, right, there are still a strong group of young Gen Zers who are not only great patriots, but they join the military. They're, they're from all different demographics, backgrounds, walks of life, different political ideologies, but we come together and form a really great, powerful team. So at the lowest level, I think, it gets hyper-polarized in Congress and on the national news media stations. But at the lowest level, we still are that great fighting team that we've been for decades and decades. And I'm I'm proud of the quality of people that I've seen and and sort of my peers in my generation that are in uniform with me, right? So I think, you know, my big message to the country and the world is, you know, we still are the greatest fighting force. You definitely don't want to mess with us. And we are coming together at the lowest level. It's at the higher level and at the sort of um, media level that, you know, you have a lot of these discussions that unfortunately taint the perception of the force and, and drive people away. I do think it's, it's crucial, right? Again, it's crucial that we keep that ability as a Gen Z era, because Gen Z likes to talk about policy, right? This is important. Gen Z is so politically uh, alert because of the 2016 election, regardless of whatever side you were on, we just know that politics matters in this generation. It's an important thing. But regardless of that, we understand policy. We like to have policy discussions. We shouldn't be censored and not allowed to have just honest policy discussions in the military. We should never be seen as cheerleading for one party or the other or one candidate or the other. Right? You should never post in uniform, I love this candidate or I love this party, but we should be like normal citizens able to have truly honest discussions. I like this policy. I don't. Let's discuss these policy ideas because that creates a better institution and a more thinking institution as a whole. So that's sort of how I split that 
that problem specifically. Yeah. Amen. I, I absolutely love it. And I'm so glad to hear some optimism coming out of the military and that we are still strong. We may not hear it in the media, but you know what? We're always counted as the underdogs in the United States anyway. So if you do mess with us, we still have a massively strong military. <laughs> And God bless you guys for doing it. It is Second Lieutenant uh, Matthew Wise with the U.S. Marine Corps, author of his book, which you can get on Amazon right now. We don't want you, Uncle Sam, examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z. Uh, talking about the generation, obviously every generation has their own beliefs, their own lifestyles, their own ways of growing up. And my generation, I'm a millennial, so I'm just a couple above you here. We were one of the last ones that didn't grow up with a lot of the technology. I didn't have a computer in the house until like late elementary school. I didn't have a phone or social media until like middle school, high school. Things were drastically different compared to the younger generations that grow up with the tablet in their face and video games constantly. Do you think that that mindset as well culturally has affected the number of people that are wanting to join in the military and be more physically active like that? Absolutely. So we are that first from birth generation that had Instagram, Facebook, uh, maybe not exactly from birth, but from you know, our earliest cognizance, um, iPhones, right? So a few things that it's done. The studies and the data show it's made us more anxious and more mentally unhealthy. So that's a huge epidemic going on with Gen Z. Gen Z is really struggling with mental health, and the military has to position itself to be a place that supports not only physical health, but mental health as well, right? We can't have these continuing veteran suicides, mental health issues, right? Because that will really turn away a generation that's already struggling. So that's one of the calls uh, for action. And one of the chapters in my book is we have to be a place that you, you know is mentally healthy and supports Gen Z mental health. An interesting thing that, that many people don't realize that I, I sort of have an insight on is it actually makes my generation competitive. You know, millennials, unfortunately, got the trope. Everyone got a trophy, participation trophy for showing up. I disagree with that uh, for Gen Z because in Gen Z, the second that you post online on Facebook or Instagram, you instantly get a number of likes and a number of comments. And the second your friend posts, he or she gets a number of likes or comments, right? They, at that moment, are instantly sort of competing with you, not directly, but yeah. in the social setting, sort of, right? And so that creates this level of desired competition that Gen Z is used to. And that's one of the things I call for. The military should increase and capitalize on that competition. Gen Zers want to get ahead. They want a path in a very unstable world to sort of get ahead, and the military should become that path for them. There should be paths within the military itself. Hey, if I'm a better performing platoon commander than my peer, maybe I get a 10% bonus pool or ability to perform better than him, you know, and be able to actually grow in my career, you know, promote faster rather than these rigid, sort of 1940s industrial structures. So these are some internal military I like um, that. changes that I, I suggest that I think would be beneficial. I like that. That's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Matt, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. I want to continue this conversation. How we can get more enrollment in our military, getting the young generation involved, active, engaged, and patriotic to defend this nation. What a conversation. Lots this more coming up. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Freedom, reason, common sense, truth. That's what it's all about here on the program. Last few minutes of the show for a Monday. Welcome back into it. We are hanging out with 2nd Lieutenant Matthew Wise with the U.S. Marine Corps, author of the book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, 
examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z, trying to figure out why we're seeing such record low recruitment numbers for the new generation and how to get them involved. And uh, Matt, as, as we're looking at the crises, and every generation has one event that's always stuck with them, um, whether it's a war. Again, mine was 9-11. I remember that one very vividly. It was September 11th in the attack. And every time that there's a major attack on the U.S. or any time there's a need for uh, a potential war or preventing it or defending the nation, there's always a massive spike uh, for the next generation to rise up to meet that challenge and to dominate, which is why the U.S. has been the superpower in the world really since we got started. For your generation, have you guys had one? Has there been that issue that you think has driven them? Or is that why you think maybe there is a lack? And if there is a crisis of something, God forbid, that did happen here relatively soon, do you think that that would massively turn it around with a record number of people wanting to sign up for the military? Yes, if, if you look at my generation's timeline, we're the first that doesn't remember or wasn't alive for 9-11. So you're absolutely right. We, we don't have that sort of impetus. We had the great financial crisis the divisive 2016 election, regardless of whichever side you were on, and the COVID pandemic uh, interrupting our childhood or, or sort of high school and middle school development. So those are our three events. Uh, I do think, though, militarily, we will rally around the flag. We will stand up. Gen Z is strong enough to come together. The point is we don't want to be caught flat-footed in the military perspective, where all of a sudden now we're rushing a bunch of people in who are unskilled. I mean, you ask the Ukrainians, they like to have 100,000 people that are trained before their war broke out, I think the answer would be yes. And the same thing goes with us. We want as many people that have these skills as possible and the best people in, in uniform as possible to prevent anything and act as a deterrence, not as a reactionary policing force. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You had mentioned earlier about some of the obstacles that your generation has and some of the things the military has tried to do, which is trying to lower standards for recruitment to make it easier for them for some to come in. And the focus on mental health, which has been a relatively new conversation for the military because of the awareness of the 22 on average suicides from military vets that we see every day in the nation. And, uh, and if we're going in with potential mental health issues before we see combat. What's the mental health going to look like going into there and then coming back after combat? Do you think the military is doing a good enough job right now of not only focusing on mental health issues, but maybe the physical abilities as well and whatever it needs to try and get some of these kids and some of the young generations back on track in in order to be, like you said, not flat-footed and actually able to jump into action if need be? So. With regards to the actual requirements, we don't ever want to lower standards and make less able people join our forces. We want actually better people. We need to analyze some of these requirements, though, and determine are they correct for the job. For example, if you're a combat diver, yes, you're going to have to be top-tip physical shape. You should probably have no major injuries or anything outlined. If you're going to be a supply clerk, which is an extremely essential job in the military, do you have to have the same level of physical uh, ability going in. And again, that's where you have to sort of actually do the work, go through specific jobs, go through the specific data and determine and make, you know, descriptive and actual specific analysis, broad stroke approach that often happens in large government bureaucracy like we see. So that's what I mean by the actual requirement analysis. You're not necessarily lowering the standard, but you're taking a finer you know, tool to it sure. and analyzing in that way. I think we are doing a better job talking about mental health. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. We we need people that are 
more cognizant. We need medics, for example, and corpsmen to actually have mental health training to be able to deal with it at the front line. And regarding physical ability, I actually don't agree with many of the the points about physical ability that Generation Z is any less physically able, meaning, yes, on the extremes, there's crazy obesity in Generation Z, and those people will never be able to join the military. I think the average seer can be, quote-unquote, whipped into shape with proper athletic training, proper nutrition training, and that's why I'm decently optimistic that although maybe fitness standards are lower as a whole in generation, there's enough of a core of the generation which we should be focused on not the extreme that, you know, is totally unfit for service, right? That's where we can actually make some gains. I love it, man. I love the optimism. I love the fact that we are strong, and it makes me feel so much better because while we don't hear that in the mainstream media, for obvious reasons, I think, it feels good to know that we are still in good hands and you guys are rocking it. It's Second Lieutenant Matthew Wise with the U.S. Marine Corps. Thank you so much for your service, my friend, and everything that you guys are doing. Keep up this fight. Go check out the book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z. Find it on Amazon, other places as well. Matt, keep up the fight, brother. We'd love to get you back on again real soon. Hoorah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. God bless America. Hey, hoorah. Appreciate that very much, my friend. There it is. Podcast up in a little bit. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.